Hi, this is Chris Campbell, and welcome to the Food Institute podcast. This week, we are happy to welcome back John Dunham, president of John Dunham and Associates to the show, and we'll be taking a look at the U.S. economy as we head into 2021. But first, whether you are a first-time listener or becoming something of a regular, we ask that you share this episode on your social media platforms. It really helps us expand our reach, and we appreciate it when you do so. And I should also note we're now available on Spotify and Apple, so take a look for us there too, and please subscribe and share us with your friends. So with that all said, I'll welcome John back to the Food Institute podcast and start off with asking him how he's doing today. So how are you, John? Uh, Chris, I'm doing, other than my internet going up and down, I'm doing great. <laughs> well, we're really appreciative of the fact that you're coming in here even with that internet problem. But today we really do want to talk about the state of the economy. I know we've spoken twice before, uh, specifically regarding the economy and the coronavirus. So what I'd like to open up with today is two reports that were released recently, and that would be ADP's job report and also Bureau of Labor Statistics. So they both reported net employment losses between 123,000 and 140,000 for December. And it was the first month of losses really since the pandemic began. So I really want to know, do you expect this trend to continue as we approach the spring or is there any kind of uh, silver lining here that we might be looking for? Yeah, I think the trend is going to absolutely continue. If you look at the, uh, the more current data, which is the, the weekly jobless, uh, the weekly unemployment claims data, it's been trending upward now for, for a number of weeks, and there's still uh, seven, 800,000 people a month, or I'm sorry, not a month, a week losing their jobs. Uh, and that's only going to get worse as unemployment uh, benefits are lengthened. Um, if, you look at the, if you look at the worst, the worst weeks of the so-called Great Recession, they never approached, uh, the worst week was, was under 700,000 jobs lost. So they have never approached these million job losses that we're seeing now. And I think that's just going to continue at least until at least until the, the, the second half of the year. So what point do you think unemployment will kind of cease there and we'll start seeing job creation? Is it tied directly to vaccine deployment? Do you expect it to take a little bit after the vaccine is deployed? What kind of you know timeline would you expect before we start seeing more job creation? Oh wow! Well, you know, if I if I knew the the total answer to this question, I would be uh, <laughs> be king, right? Um, our models, you kind of have to uh, you kind of have to take a, a stab in the dark on this one. All of our modeling, we're putting in that this is going to start changing in June. That and it really has less to do with vaccine deployment than it does with people's fear over over the coronavirus. You, you could have everybody in the country vac vaccinated, but it, it doesn't matter if people are still scared to go out to eat, are still scared to travel, are still scared to uh, you know, go to a movie theater. And you can't predict fear. So we're, we're assuming that the second half of the year is going to see that, uh, that transition occur. But until then, I think it's going to be a pretty, uh, a pretty uh, rough patch. So looking at that, you know, when we originally spoke, you know, a lot of people were hoping that this would only be a month and then that fear kind of extended to three months, six months. Now we're looking at almost a year and a half. What kind of, you know, overarching effects do you think this is going to have on our economy and even just consumers in general going forward? It's going to have a tremendous impact. I mean, think of it this way. If, if Let's just talk about the jobless claims again. The, the weekly claims, the weekly new claims for unemployment now, uh, what you a year into this, are still higher than the highest week during the last recession. And that's happening every week. Every week, almost a million people are losing their jobs. 
it, it's, it's unheard of in the history of this country going back all the way to the Great Depression. These, these are Great Depression level statistics still. And that had a tremendous, that period of time that was probably extended longer than this recession will be, um, had a tremendous impact going for my grandmother, you know, and, and 20 years ago was still living like the Great Depression was going on. So I think this is going to have a, an impact going well into the future. So jumping back to a point you made about uh, the hospitality sector, you know, food service operations are certainly feeling the pressure still early in 2021, and they did for most of 2020. So I was wondering if you'd give us a short prospectus for these operators for the rest of the year. And, you know, I know you said that maybe June is when things are going to start turning around. Is that when you think that food service operators might see that light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, those that survive. Yeah. Uh, there's two, I mean, there's really two segments to food service that we spend a lot of time looking at. One is office food services. And that is impacted by the fact that nobody's going back to work. And I think that is going to start to change. It's, it's fairly likely that's going to start changing in the second half. And a lot of those office food service companies will come back from their 40 to 60% decline that they're experiencing right now. Um, the, general food service industry, the restaurants, the bars, it's it's going to be a little bit different. I think that we're going to see a, a tremendous number of bankruptcies in January and February. I think but when the numbers start coming out uh, for bankruptcies in January, it's going to look awful because a lot of these, a lot of these small businesses just really just hung on through the end of the year and they don't have the money to, to go any longer. Um, the larger restaurant chains, the, uh, the, the, so the chain restaurants, the, the restaurants that have cash reserves or are able to borrow, they'll they'll do pretty well. And they'll and then once people are feeling comfortable to go out and eat, they're going to be the ones that are left, and they're going to see a, a tremendous surge in the second half. But I think a lot of the uh, the restaurants that we know and love on our high streets around the country are not going to be there. So on the other side of the coin, you know, grocery retailers by and large did very well in 2020. So I kind of have two questions there. First, do you expect to see more of the same in 2021? And also, you know, what about comparable sales for them? Do you think that there's going to be some unfair comparisons compared to what they were able to do last year, uh, kind of when the world reopens? Yeah, the growth was tremendous last year. So you look at year over year growth now, it's not going to be, it's going to be a lot more um, normal, so to speak. Um, one thing that we're seeing, though, is grocery prices are really going up fast. There, there is tremendous inflation in the, uh, in the, the off-premise uh, food uh, sector. And uh, with that inflation, I think uh, some of the retailers are going to be able to take some pricing as well. And it should be a fairly good year for them. So now I know we've had a lot of tumultuous political action, and I asked you last time when you came on, you know, regarding a new administration, but with the Biden administration coming on, uh, you know, on the 20th, a lot of people expect that they're going to be working strongly on ESG initiatives, and often that leads to more regulation. So, you know, what kind of uh, financial preparation should food companies be making in regards to this administration change? Yeah, you know, one of the, the really beneficial things of the Trump administration and has, has been the regulatory approach, beneficial for the economy. Um, obviously, there are always winners and losers to every regulation, but overall beneficial to the economy. It hasn't been as, uh, as much of a deregulatory regime as the administration has led people to believe, but it has been, there's been a significant change in the way regulations are written 
and the way that they're being um, the, the the way that they're being made more flexible. And I'm not sure that that's going to happen under the under the Biden administration. They've already announced a lot of new regulations, particularly on the energy sector. And energy has been one area that that you know lower energy prices have been what's been holding down in you know CPI inflation over the last year. Uh, I think from the from the food service side, from the, the the food side, it's there wasn't a whole lot of deregulation. You know, food safety has always been a priority, um, and I, I think that's going to continue. I think you'll see more of the uh, the sort of the uh, the headline kind of regulations uh, related to, uh, to to climate and related to things like that, rather than. Uh, minutia kind of changes in the food sector. So should these food companies really be looking to the Obama administration then for an idea of where they could be headed? You know, and talking to other guests, I think a lot of people believe that Biden will kind of pick up the mantle and the work that he was doing as vice president during the Obama administration. So do you think we could see, you know, updates to FISMA and other aspects like that that could kind of add a monetary pressure to food companies? Or do you think it's really just going to be these top level kind of, you know, carbon emissions, et cetera? Well, yeah, there's, a, there's a couple of, uh, of factors there. Our, our models, actually, our economic models show that, you know, are, are kind of looking at the administration uh, mirroring the Obama administration broad on, on a macro scale. On a micro scale, you have to remember that, uh, that uh, the First Lady was very, very interested in food. And so the Obama administration uh, pushed a lot of food-related regulations that probably Nobody would have ever even thought of if it hadn't been for the first lady. Um, that's probably going to be a little less important under a Biden administration. That said, there is a more uh, radicalized uh, wing of the Democrat Party that didn't exist uh, under the Obama administration. And I think they're going to be pushing more of the headline things. I, I, I just don't think the uh, the squad type folks are all that attuned to the, the, the more um, mundane business regulations. They want to make headlines. And I think that's where the focus is going to be. So last we spoke, we were discussing a second set of stimulus checks. And that fresh set of stimulus checks were actually sent between our last episode and when we're speaking today. And the total was only $600. So I'm wondering in your mind, is this enough to actually stimulate the economy? Or do you think this will be a lot like the first set, which kind of was used to pay down debt or to become a rainy, you know, rainy day fund for a lot of Americans. Do you think that $600 is enough? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about what uh, fiscal stimulus really means. But what this means is the federal government is going out and borrowing $600 to to give you. So in effect, you are, because you are the Fed, you know, you are the taxpayers, you are taking out a $600 loan to, um, to, to spend. Um, now, if you are in very, very dire financial straits. It's nice to be able to get that credit because you couldn't normally get it. If you are not in dire financial straits, that's not going to mean a whole lot to you. But borrowing $600 to spend $600 doesn't have a real stimulus effect on the economy. It's, it's, a, it's a net wash. Uh, it will have an effect of pushing some um, consumption forward. I think you'll see a little bit of a boost in the first quarter. But that's just taking away from from future quarters. So it's it's not really a it's not a long term strategy. It's a stimulus is more of a, a thing to get through a short term problem. And I think that we're looking at a much longer term problem than than something that six hundred dollars is going to change. 
So I guess that flows nicely into the fact that Biden's already on the record saying that he would want uh, $2,000 stimulus checks. So do you think that level of funding would actually help the U.S. economy or is it still the same dynamic that, you know, you're borrowing 2000 to to buy with 2000 Is it the same dynamic or would that $2,000 kind of, you know, change the scale a little bit? For yeah, same dynamic, more of nothing is nothing. Um, it's, it's really, again, you're pushing consumption forward. So that that is a... You know, beneficial in the short term. It's not beneficial in the, you know, in the, in the wash. Now, from a from a personal perspective, there are plenty of people that that two thousand dollars means a lot to. But particularly right now, with the jobs, particularly in the in the lower wage sectors of the economy, scarce. So, you know, from a from a human standpoint, from an individual standpoint, it means a lot. From a macroeconomic standpoint, it's going to just wash out. So recently, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies have been making a lot of news. I even saw a pair of bars were listed for sale in Bitcoin slash Ethereum tokens only in New York City. So do you think the U.S. is ready to employ these alternative currencies, or is it still just kind of a novelty that's developing in this country? Um, no, and yes. Uh, the, the, the United States is not going to adopt Bitcoin because no country is going to adopt a, a, a fiat currency that is not controlled by that country's uh central bank or, or treasury department. Um, the, the, the idea that, you know, money is, money is something in the eye of the beholder, right? Uh, prior to the European colonization of say, um, the, the, the Indonesian archipelago, the, uh, the currency there were cowrie shells. And when the Europeans took over, they adopted gold as their, and, and, and metals as their form of currency. So, had the uh, Indonesians taken over England, we would be trading cowrie shells now and wearing cowrie shells around our neck. So whether it's Bitcoin or gold or any of those things, it's a, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a currency that's in the eye of the beholder. I, I don't think you're going to see people going to, the, going to the store and shopping at Bitcoin anytime soon. Um, and I don't think you're going to see this bubble in Bitcoin last, uh, last much longer either. I would agree, you know, and speaking with most people, they tend to tell me that the real value with uh, blockchain technology is in the blockchain itself and, uh, you know, identifying, uh, you know, different handling points for food products and other items in the supply chain. But, you know, with all the news, I thought it'd be interesting to get your take on it. Yeah, absolutely. Blockchain technology is an amazing technology and it's got a lot of different uses. And, you know, and cryptocurrency is a, is a use. And if people are willing to trade cryptocurrency, that's, that's great. But like I said, gold is really, if you think of it, the oldest Ponzi scheme in the world. Um, you know, it, it does not have value really outside of the, the, the metal, the, the, the industrial value of gold. And had had uh, ships gone the other way, you know, 500 years ago, we'd be on a cowrie shell standard. All right. So I think that about wraps it up for us this week on the Food Institute podcast. Once again, I'd like to thank John for his time today. Uh, John, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and your organization? We're at, uh, we're at www.gorillaeconomics.com, and that's two R's and two L's, like the, like the guys that come out of the forest. Uh, not like the gorillas that come out, of, like the like Che. So they can go there and learn about us. Excellent. So we'll definitely share the relevant links in the description of this video. And remember, if you're new to the Food Institute podcast, please follow, like, and share. If you'd like to learn more about the Food Institute, please take a look at the links in our description to learn more about us and what membership could do for you and your company. So until next time, this is Chris Campbell signing off. Mm -hmm.